I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, garden design, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables and expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition... Our RHS horticultural advisors are on hand to tackle your latest gardening queries. The experts here at Wisley give seasonal, practical advice for what you should be doing in your garden now, including suggestions of what to do with this year's bumper apple harvest. And, as always, we'll have the latest news on RHS events across our four gardens. But first, as summer draws to a close and the school holidays are over, now is a perfect time to enjoy the sights and scents here at RHS Garden Wisley. We caught up with garden manager Matthew Pottage to hear some of his highlights to look out for if you fancy a trip to Wisley. So my name is Matthew Pottage, I'm a garden manager here at RHS Garden Wisley. So we're taking a look around the garden now, we're still seeing quite a bit of colour for the time of year and we're just starting to see the early onset of autumn around us. What is nice to see though is we've got late flowering herbaceous such as the monk's hood, the Michaelmas daisies, so that's the asters, and the, uh, the Hesperanthera, which was used to be known as Schizostylus, flowering away, which is a South African bulbous plant on the edges of the beds here. And we're also starting to see the Nerines popping up, which is another South African bulb. And we've got these lovely pink flowers just rising up above the bulbs. And that's a sign that autumn's on its way. But also just looking over the lawns here, we can see just the tips of the liquid ambers and also the sugar maples as well. That's Asa saccharum with these lovely red tips. And that is the slightly cooler nights we're getting now. It's the shorter days that's triggering this autumnal look. But still plenty of colour and still quite nice daytime temperatures. So the liquid amber trees, it's sometimes known as a sweet gum. Uh, a lot of ours are native to America, although some are native to parts of Asia. But the ones in the garden here, it's one called liquid amber styracifluor. And it's got this lovely, really long-lived autumn colour, actually. And the tree, they go all shades of orange to dark burgundy colour to red but it really is a good doer because it's a long-lived autumn colour it doesn't all blow off at the first wind and there's lots of different varieties of liquid amber you can get for example a very narrow one over there kirsten there's a very good colour on weather hill which is one called 
Warpleston. And there's good garden use there. They're attractive foliage, but brilliant, brilliant colours. So this time of year, it's really good to just stop and take stock of your own garden. Think about what's worked, what hasn't, what you'd like to change. And get out the notepad and make a note of it. Because when you're back in gardening mode in the spring, trying to remember what was good and what was bad and what was too large, you know, you don't always remember. So now is a good time to take out a book, have a good gulp at the borders, see what you like, see what you don't like. Um, And of course, come along to Wisley and see Wisley now, because a lot of people say, you know, my garden lacks colour in the late summertime and, oh, everything's gone over now. You know, you still want to sit out in the garden this time of year. We've still got respectable temperatures. But, you know, how to inject a bit of late summer colour and also just see a few trees and shrubs that are starting to give a bit of autumn colour early on as well. So come and check it out and do a page of edit notes for your garden for next year. Matthew Pottage. If you've been inspired to make a trip to RHS Garden Wisley or indeed one of our other gardens at Rosemore, Hyde Hall or Harlow Carr, here's some ideas of activities to enjoy in the coming weeks. From the 4th to the 8th of September, come along to Wisley Flower Show. Enjoy the delights of this late summer show as you browse and buy from more than 50 specialist nurseries and garden trade stands. At Harlow Carr on the 8th of September, there's an autumn plant fair. Pick up a wealth of information and advice on garden plants from specialist nurseries and make a purchase or two for your garden. Also at Harlow Carr from the 11th to the 22nd of September, come along to the Textilier Exhibition where you can see an intriguing range of creative styles and techniques of this well-established contemporary textile group. At Rosemore, on the 22nd of September, come along to the Taste of West Country Food Festival. Bring your shopping bag and stock up on locally reared beef and lamb, handmade cheeses, English wines and a whole lot more. At Hyde Hall, on the weekend of the 28th and 29th of September, there's a chilli pepper weekend. See colourful displays, get expert advice and take part in chilli tasting, if you dare. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk. I'm Jenny Bowden, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. So, what jobs should you be tackling in your garden right now? Our experts here at RHS Garden Wisley have some suggestions. Hello there, it's uh, Andrew Salisbury here, Senior Entomologist at uh, RHS Garden Wisley. At this time of year, we begin to think about some of the pests we need to treat over the autumn period. And one of the biggest pests that gardeners have is vine weevil grubs in pots. Normally not noticed till the spring. When you lift up plants, you find the grubs and no roots. But the actual best time of year to treat is now. And treat uh, all your pots and containers either with the nematode biological control or you can use a pesticide, one of the vine weevil killers, watered into pots and containers. As we go into autumn, you may find that your lawn gets uh, dug up by foxes, badgers, birds of the crow family. And the normal reason for this is because you've ended up with a Schaefer grub infestation. Schaefer grubs are the larvae of certain Schaefer beetles. And when fully grown, they're up to an inch in length. They're white, C-shaped, have a brown head and three pairs of legs. Uh, And they eat away at the roots of the turf, making it easy for these animals to come in and dig it up. The best time of year to treat these uh, pests is with a nematode biological control as we go into autumn. 
Hello, my name is Lucy Ponsford and I'm from the formal department and I look after the Wisley Canal area, walled gardens and bedding schemes. So some seasonal jobs for you to do during September. Um, keep on top of your watering and weeding, keeping a vigilant eye, making sure your herbaceous aren't getting swamped out by weeds. Um, whilst you're casting an eye over the bed, check for edits, things that you want to take out or replace once the weather conditions are suitable a bit later in the year. Um, but also taking cuttings of your half-hardies. It's really important if you've bought any nemesia, salvias or anything that aren't frost-hardy, you'll need to propagate those to make sure that you have a stock for next year. By doing this, you also multiply your numbers, so your quid's in. So, seasonal jobs for September. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Bernard Boardman, and I'm part of the Wisley Fruit Team. I've got three tips for you today. We've had a bumper apple harvest. Well, we're right in the middle of it. So, pointers with apples at this time of the year. Make sure you clear up any of the fallen fruit that you're not going to use. You don't want that... Uh, left lying around may transfer diseases. Pick your early apples and enjoy them, but just bear in mind that you might have some later ripening apples to store. So clear the store out and then you're ready to put your apple straight in and they're not left hanging around. Handle them gently. Don't try and force them off the tree. You should be able to cup your hand underneath the fruit and just lift it away from the tree. If it won't come off, leave it there. It's not ripe yet. And remember that the fruit on the sunny side of the tree will ripen earlier. So that's where to look if you're feeling hungry. Apples can be stored in several different ways. You can cook them and put them in pies and freeze them, or you can just cook them down and freeze them to be used throughout the winter. Or you can put them into storage um, ideally the cooler the better but not not freezing our apple store for instance is kept between four and five degrees so a cool garage is absolutely ideal try not to stack the fruit so that it's all touching try and put it on shelves so that it's kept separate from one another and so that the air can move through the fruit don't forget, of course, that you could always juice your apples and turn it into cider. Another thing to remember, we're still enjoying our uh, raspberry crop. But if you've got summer fruiting raspberries, and they will have just about finished now, um, you could start, if you haven't already done it, removing the canes that have carried the fruit this year. Don't worry about tying in the new ones yet, because they've still got a little bit of growing to do especially as the weather's warm and they will still be growing but getting rid of the old ones just helps the job along and while you're doing it you might see some very obvious weak young shoots which you know just aren't going to be any use to you so you can remove those as well. The final tip um, I look after the vineyard at Wisley and at the moment I'm busy removing a lot of the bigger leaves that are covering the fruit. I need as much sunshine to get at those grapes as I possibly can. So just removing some of those bigger leaves to let the light into any vines that are outside helps them with their ripening process. It's absolutely vital that they get plenty of sunshine now as we're moving into September. 
You can find more tips and advice on growing your own fruit and vegetables on the Grow Your Own pages of the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash grow your own. Here you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. If you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening Podcast, you'll already know that once a month our experts from the advisory team here at RHS Garden Wisley are on hand to answer your gardening questions. The RHS Advisory Service is free for all RHS members and if you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can email them to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Tackling the questions this month, we hear from Guy Barter, Tony Dickerson, Rob Sterling and Liz Beale. My name is Tony Dickerson. I'm a horticultural advisor with the RHS based here at Wisley in Surrey. My name is Guy Barter. I work with the Members Advisory Service here at the Royal Horticultural Society in Surrey. My name's Rob Sterling and I'm a horticultural advisor here at Wisley. Hi, I'm Liz Beale. I'm a plant pathologist here at Wisley. Well, uh, September's here already, uh, and our first uh, inquiry this month is from Robert Noble. He planted some baby sweet corn this year, but had terrible results. And he would like to know what are the tricks to getting a good or any crop at all. Um, Rob, I guess, bearing in mind he lives in Berwick-on-Tweed, that may be a clue as to why he may have struggled. <laughs> yes, you could be right there, Tony. Um, certainly, um, to get good sweet corn, um, you really need heat in order for it to grow. And if you plant it too soon, then the plant will struggle and it's most likely to just uh, sit there and languish. So um, always plant when when the weather is actually conducive to growing, even if it means planting it a little bit later. With a whole string of nice warm weather, the plant will actually grow properly and you should get a good crop. Baby sweet corn's a great crop because you get an awful lot of crop off a small area if it all works well. In cooler northern districts, if possible, raise it in the tub. A large tub, 60 centimetres across, could contain many plants because each plant only needs about 15 centimetres between each plant. If you can start it off in a greenhouse or conservatory and then put it outside, it's off to a flying start. Keep it well fed and watered. If you're not lucky enough to have a greenhouse or conservatory, you can start plants on a windowsill and then plant them out. Cover them with a, a double layer of fleece to start with in in late May, early June, and then a single layer of fleece until they shoot on up. Even in northern districts, you'll see that farmers grow a lot of forage maize, but they give it a start underneath plastic, and you can do the same. If you want to sow direct in the soil, just cover the soil with um, clear plastic in April, and then after a few weeks when the soil's nice and warm, sow straight in the ground, plenty of seeds, and they should come up in abundance. With baby sweet corn, there's two kinds of seeds. Um, you can buy special baby sweet corn seed. This tends to be rather tropical in its nature, and although it produces lovely baby sweet corn, it might not be the best one for northern districts. Therefore, um, buy some of the ordinary standard sweet corn seed. Don't go for the super sweets. Uh, go for really hardy varieties that are recommended for being early. And by sowing them close together, you stunt the cobs and you still get perfectly usable baby sweet corn. So all other things being equal, uh, baby sweet corn is quite feasible in northern regions. And Lynn Kersey from Birmingham says, My mother-in-law gave us some lovely dahlias in a container this year. I've read that you should lift the tubers out of the soil before it gets cold. Is this true or a myth? When and how do I do it? Bob? Well, if the um, dahlias are still growing in the container... Um, then um, certainly if the um, 
a plant is going to ex- or the container is going to experience a, a degree of frost you know, later in the autumn then um, it will actually harm the roots quite substantially because uh, being in a container the soil is above ground and it's more prone to freezing than it would be if it was in the soil um, if it's in a container the best thing to do really would be to to, to lift uh, lift the container and put it into a, a frost free area such as a garage or even into a conservatory over winter and uh, to keep it on the dry side allow the plant to, to dry out and die back naturally um, if the plant it has been put in the garden um, if the soil is well drained then um, there is a possibility that the plant will survive over winter um, so long as you give it a really good mulch and um, put about six inches or so of mulch over the top of the crown of the old plant um, in order to protect the, 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 the roots from frost going into the ground if the soil though is is actually on the heavy side and is uh, retaining moisture quite badly through the winter then uh, and, and even prone to waterlogging that would be really bad for the bad news for the, the dahlia it's most likely going to rot off and in that case it would be best to lift it put it in in a, a box or a, a large pot with old peat in in there or old old potting compost and keep it just ticking over just barely damp over the winter um, until the spring when it can be started into growth again. I, I guess that a lot of gardeners even in southern Britain though is, have been caught out in recent winters with the much colder conditions and uh, it's always a good idea if you're growing dahlias in the soil to lift at least some of your collection to overwinter just as an insurance. I think w- with 15 or 20 years of mild winters we got into the habit of leaving the plants in the ground but certainly from 2009 onwards we've certainly had cold weather so as an insurance lift them store them over the winter somewhere frost free the next question is from dennis withington from east london and he's asking when is the right time to prune my climbing rose and how do i do it i don't know the name but it's amazing it has three colored flowers that turn yellow orange and red i guess naming of roses uh, is a difficult task at the best of times but uh, pruning of climbing roses is pretty straightforward it's an activity for the winter you might cut back some of the longer shoots in the autumn just to prevent uh, wind rock but the pruning itself a job for winter ideally with climbing roses either fan them out over a wall or if they're going up some sort of uh, vertical structure twine the stems round this will improve the flowering and essentially you keep the main stems three four five main stems from one year to the next but it's the laterals the the side branches off those that you'll just shorten back to a convenient point and then next summer those will bear the the flowers for the uh, the coming year on some of the older stems in order to keep the uh, the, the plant rejuvenated choose choose the oldest stems um, for your pruning back so you know those those stems which are sort of maybe four or five years old as Tony's as sort of said can cut those back right to the base to encourage a new cane to grow um, when that cane does grow you'll probably notice that it doesn't flower in the first year that's because it makes all its growing in the first year and then the following year it puts out laterals which then flower so a lot of people actually mistake these canes as being suckers um, and then and cut them off and very often the questions that we have here in the advisory services is why won't my climbing rose flower um, and very often it's because they've mistaken these canes as being suckers and uh, it's because they haven't flowered in their first year so always let them have one year year's growth 
bend them into uh, into their final position for flowering and the laterals that come out the following year will be the ones that give you the flowers our next question here is from alex van in norwich my potatoes had terrible slug damage this year how can i prevent this happening next year rob potatoes and slugs (laughs) well um if you have a, a heavy soil um, and you grow on a, a sort of a heavy clay ki- kind of soil, um, that's a, a very um, a p- popular medium for slugs. They seem to proliferate in that kind of environment, whereas they're not quite so common on light, sandy soils. What you can do is, is actually improve the environment that they're in by digging in plenty of organic matter to lighten the soil um, and consider also some kind of prevention, such as a nematode uh, treatment. Nematodes are biological agents, they're microscopic worms, which um, infest the slugs and um, which uh, cause them to to have a bacterial infection and the slugs die um, naturally without being toxic to any of the other wildlife which which feeds on them. Um, Nematodes actually come um, in a very easy uh, manageable form um, they come through the post um, in a in a, a pack which you need to add to water and the the amount that you need to apply is determined by the number of square meters that you that you have that you want to treat um, and uh, once the once the uh, nematodes have been watered onto the uh, onto the garden uh, they will then follow the slug trails and and actually infect the the, the slugs without you having to do anything they normally need uh, a, a fairly warm soil temperature in order to, to infect the slugs properly, um, but they can actually now be applied from March right the way through to, to September. Obviously, the traditional slug pellets, certainly great concerns about those and the, the fact that metaldehyde now is actually getting into the groundwater. But another organic option are those slug pellets based on ferrous phosphate, which seem pretty effective and again the secret is not to overdose with them you just want a tiny uh, spread of the pellets and I guess the other thing with potatoes the the earthing up and so on if you're disturbing the soil slugs and snails are just like anyone else they don't want to be disturbed they like nice settled conditions so regularly earthing up the potatoes and going along the row will certainly uh, keep the problem down and as you cultivate the soil over time, slugs and snails tend to be much more of a problem in newly cultivated soils. So if you've got a new allotment and you're plagued by slugs and snails over two or three years, you often find the populations diminish greatly. So the thing to do is uh, eternal vigilance, but you should be able to get on top of the problem. Guy, what about resistant cultivars? <laughs> Not all potatoes are equally susceptible to slugs. Some, like Romano and Kestrel, have a considerable amount of resistance built into them. They're not favoured by slugs. And you can search the online potato databases. There's a European potato database and there's a, a British potato database. And you can identify cultivars that have got a reasonably strong resistance to slugs. And, and these will suffer less damage. Slug control is a, a long-term process. And so before planting a potato crop, it's worth 
cultivating the soil to make it fine and dry during March and April. This will kill quite a lot of slugs. After you've sown your, or rather planted your potatoes, it's a good idea to earth up in stages using a free prong cultivator. And again, that will expose a lot of slugs to dryness, which they don't like at all. You've got to remember that with slugs, it's the really small ones that do the damage. The big slugs that you can see are much less damaging than the little ones that drill their way into potatoes, where gardeners often mistake it for wireworm damage, which is somewhat different from as you go into the summer before the the canopy reaches uh, across and shades the whole crop you want to go through and earth up with the cultivator one last time and kill a few more and from that stage onwards when it's nice and humid underneath the crop canopy that's when you can use the slug pellets based on iron phosphate bearing in mind that only four applications per year are allowed and also the nematodes that uh, deal with slugs effectively in those warm humid conditions later on the slugs won't start doing their evil work until about august therefore if you grow second early potatoes that produce a heavy yield nearly as good a yield as main crop potatoes that mature in august um, you can cut back the foliage as it dies back and lift the potatoes safely into your potato store before the slugs really get to work bear in mind they do particular damage in september and october and Liz, um, talking about potato problems, I've noticed this year uh, really quite serious problems with potato scab, which uh, I certainly didn't notice last year. And I'm wondering if that's anything to do with the dry soil conditions we may have had this summer. Yes, certainly the dry conditions actually um, make the disease more prevalent. Um, and that's why you've noticed such a high occurrence of scab this year. And I suppose, like with slugs, there's some more resistant uh, cultivars, Guy. Um, I grew Shireen this year as a second early. It seemed largely unaffected, whereas my usual standby for a second early Charlotte seemed quite badly scabbed. Uh, are there others that uh, gardeners perhaps should look at if they're having this problem? Yes, potatoes vary remarkably in their susceptibility to common scab. Common scab is a scab associated with uh, with dry soils. Uh, Market favourites such as Maris Piper and Desiree are desperately susceptible to scab if the soil is dry and the supermarket ones are heavily irrigated at the critical time just before flowering begins until the flowers begin to go over because that's when the tubers get infected. Others such as um, Rebenta and Ambo and again you can search online databases to find other ones have got considerable resistance but in a dry year like this um, even resistant uh, potatoes are going to suffer a considerable amount of common scab damage happily um, it doesn't actually impair their eating quality they won't win you prizes on the show bench but they're just as good in the kitchen and uh, even if you leave the skins on um, they won't actually cause any harm or any distastefulness uh, one thing that might be of interest um, i experimented this year growing potatoes underneath uh, black um, plastic mulch um, and uh, charlotte was one of the varieties which i grew um, the other week I harvested them all and, and not, not one of them had, had scab on. So um, it may well be the fact that uh, the conditions underneath that black plastic mulch was more humid um, and the potatoes didn't dry out quite so much and so therefore scab wasn't such a problem. Liz Ball has emailed in the question about her peonies. She's got white and yellow peonies and she'd like to grow them from seed. She'd like to grow some more from seed. She's not sure what the variety is but it looks like fried eggs. Um, Tony, you're a, a very strong man for peonies. What do you think? Well, Guy, peonies, as every gardener will know, are extremely expensive to buy, and that's because these cultivars are actually propagated by division, and peonies are very slow to bulk up. Uh, it'd be great if they could be grown by seed, but 
first of all, they won't come true. And peonies make it particularly difficult because they have something called double dormancy. You need to sow the seed. The first winter, they will produce a root. And then having gone through a second winter, they'll produce a shoot. So growing a peony from seed takes many, many years to produce a flowering plant. And if you grow them from uh, seed collected from cultivars, they're not going to come true. You might get some interesting plants. You could get even some uh, very attractive flowers, but you may also get a lot of indifferent uh, flowers. So as a result, um, if you are going to try peonies from seed, you're much better going with some of the wild species. But again, you're probably looking at five, six, seven years to get decent flowering plants. Our next question is from Barry Harp, um, who, who writes, Can I sharpen secateurs? If so, how? Or do I have to pl- replace mine now that they're a little dull? Secateurs can be sharpened quite easily. In fact, professional horticulturists whose um, livelihood depends on fast work and accurate work with secateurs will sharpen their secateurs every day. And here's how our, our Wisley ones uh, do this. First of all, they dismantle the secateurs, which is quite easy. There's a, a spring-loaded catch holding the blade in place in most cases. Then they clean it with a, a mildly abrasive metal cleaner, uh, often sold in, in places like a car spares and uh, car accessory shops. When it's clean and all the sap is off it, the blade is then carefully cleaned on an oil stone or, and our gardeners prefer these, a diamond sharpener. The diamond sharpeners are more convenient because there's no messing around with oil and they can easily, you can even have pocket ones and clean the secateurs during the day if they get a bit dull. So by carefully applying the uh, sharpeners to the edge, of the, the blade it can be sharpened and once sharpened uh, then any burr is removed by just wiping the, the reverse side of the blade and the secateurs reassembled having said that um, the best kinds of secateurs are often uh, repaired by the manufacturers and so look at the manufacturer for your secateurs visit their website and you may find they offer a refurbishment service and if your secateurs have seen many years of hard service and will require an awful lot of sharpening it may well be better to contact the manufacturers and buy new blades or even send them off and have them refurbished um, so it's always best to have sharp secateurs and in fact they're safer safer too because there's less chance of slippage and cutting yourself with them Thanks to all the advice team. Remember, RHS members can contact the team by phone, email or letter for free advice with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Well, we're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and the team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. 
The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.